Hello and welcome back to the Harvard Hoops podcast. I'm Liam, your host, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host who's maybe had some sleep. We'll find out in a minute. It's Ben Jones. Hello. <laughs> How you doing, mate? Yeah, very well. I have been having some sleep, so that's a that's a real success. Some sleep, some basketball tweets, some basketball viewing, no work. Sounds like it's going well at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm living the dream. <laughs> living the NBA dream. Uh, plan for today, we're going to talk about all the series, as we do throughout the playoffs. Uh, but we do have a couple of awards to touch on first, actually. So, Ben, where would you like to start? Would you like to start with Rookie of the Year or Most Improved? I'll let you pick. Um, let's start with Rookie, shall we? Yeah, Rookie of the Year has gone to Scotty Barnes of the Toronto Raptors. Very cool. I don't know if you saw it, mate. Very cool video, actually, with uh, Vince Carter announcing he had it. I don't know if you, have you seen that. Or? Oh, no, I haven't seen that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. He's basically Scott. He's almost uh, years in tears. His eyes start welling up, and then the whole team like jump on him. Uh, but yeah, it's very good. Um, I think he's the last Toronto player to win that award, so it, it was good. It's a good thing to, to check out on Twitter. But yeah, Scotty Barnes won it. Uh, of course, as listeners know, you are a Cavaliers fan. Uh, I have another friend, Lee, who is also a Cavaliers fan, who I do an NFL kind of podcast with, um, and he is extremely disappointed and. Actually, I am very angry about this award. So you're a slightly more measured Cavs fan. What are your thoughts on it? I I do personally think it has gone to the wrong person. Yeah. But, uh, just when you look at contributions throughout the entire season, Scotty Barnes has kind of built into it. And I think maybe there's a bit of a recency bias, like he's been very, very good recently. Yeah. Whereas uh, for me, Evan Mobley has been incredible all season like he hit the ground running and he hasn't missed a beat he's averaging more points um more rebounds one less assist assist a game um and i think if you look at where the Cavs are now compared to where toronto is more people would have been putting toronto where they are now compared to where the Cavs got to and a big part of that is evan mobley and his contribution um I'd also like to compare them at the All-Star break when Scotty Barnes couldn't hit a layup or a floater or (laughs) anything and Evan Mobley was sinking absolutely everything for fun. So I can see why it's gone to Scotty Barnes. I just don't necessarily agree with it. Yeah, on my end-of-season ballot, I had um, Evan Mobley as number one, Scotty as number two, and Josh Giddy as number three. Josh Giddy didn't even finish in the top six, which I thought was... Wow, it's crazy to me. Um, I thought he was really good. There was a he got injured down the stretch, which I do, do think kind of leads into your recency bias thing that you mentioned. Because for me, throughout the whole season, he was really, really good. They won so many yeah. games that they should not win with that roster, especially when Shea didn't play. And um, Josh Kiddy was good, but yeah, that was disappointing. But I agree. I think Mobley was number one for me. I did actually was it yesterday or the day before? I was checking out the ballot uh, numbers when I was talking to this other guy and. Um, I noticed that Mobley actually wasn't in any... Someone left him off the ballot completely. So one voter didn't put him in any first, second or third, um, which I think is pretty outrageous. That's obscene. Yeah, I thought that was pretty outrageous. But um, in terms of Scotty, uh, clear second choice for me. I do think he was much better than Cade, much better than Giddy. Um, Slightly overrated defensively for me, but I actually think he's a lot better passer of the ball than, than people give him credit for. Um, they sometimes play, as you're seeing in the playoffs now, five uh, five out with no point guard. And it's up to Siakam and Scotty to be kind of 
fake forward guards, and uh, I think he does a pretty good job of that. Um, very good rebounder, scoring the ball probably better than I thought he would at this level. Um, so he has impressed me, but uh, I yeah. think Mobley looks a, it looks a tier above in terms of shooting. Um, and for me, actually, defence, which I think people think Scotty Barnes is better at, but for me, I think Mobley is a step above. So yeah, I'm with you. But I think he is a okay choice because I had him second on my board, but I would have voted for, for Mobley as well. Yeah, I, I had Scotty uh, second for me as well. I, th- I don't think Cade's a hell of a player and he's developing quickly, but he had such a terrible start to the season um, that even with a recency bias, I couldn't, couldn't kind of give him major points to put him above the, either of these two. And I agree with you, Josh Giddy has been phenomenal this season. Um, yeah, Youngest player to get a triple-double. Yeah, uh, yeah, more than one as well. Yeah, so I'd probably have the same top three as you. Um, yeah, Cade fourth for me. Um, in the real voting, I think Cade's third. Uh, Herb Jones was fifth. And Franz Wagner was fourth, and I do like Franz, but I think yeah. Herb is incredibly defen- incredible defensively, and that's a little bit of recency bias again for me, because start of the season he wasn't in the rotation and, and stuff. But yeah, unfortunately for Giddy, but shout out to Scotty Barnes, and yeah, anyone who hasn't seen that video of him getting the award on, on Twitter, go do it. Uh, now, most improved uh, went to Jar Moran. Um, he was not in my most improved top three. Um, but he won the award. Um, I'm one of these people that does think that he was a star last year, top 20 player in the league, maybe 25 last year, but probably top 20. This year, he is basically the same in terms of position. Um, I just think now he's probably more of a superstar, which is a hard leap to take. But I kind of do value a little bit more when you have these players that hardly play and hardly contribute and then become real kind of top four, five players on their potential team. So I think even Desmond Bain, who is on the on the same team as Jar, I think he was probably more deserving of it. What are your thoughts on this award? Yeah. So I, I initially was all for this. Um, he has made a massive leap. He's gone from 19.1 points to 27.4. Massive leap in scoring. Um, percentages have stayed relatively similar. And But the, the thing that's held me back slightly is that I think a, a, a part of this is contribution to the team. And even with him not playing, that team has been incredible. Um, I think, like I agree with you, someone like Desmond Bain, who's on his team, has probably made a bigger leap this season than Ja Morant has because we expected this from him. Yeah, exactly. Most people, people who get... Go. Yeah, most people who've got... It was his second pick in the NBA draft. Most people... Yep make this leap if they're a superstar in that year. And if they're not, they're normally a bust. And then we kind of, that's it. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. We all knew he was going to go from that fringe all-star to all-star and then into superstar level. You could see that trajectory for him. Whereas Desmond Baines come out of nowhere and been this incredible energy and player, scorer um, for the Grizzlies. There's other players out there as well that you could probably make a better case for um my homer pick would be darius garland this season um he finished third in voting for for this award at the moment yeah i thought he had a a a massive sort of increase in terms of improvement in terms of his game play more so than like his stats dictate he's gone from 17.4 points to 21.7 which smaller jump than jar morant but the way he's managed the game the way he's taken uh, 
meaningful shots, the way he's got other players involved, the way he's running his team, the all-around improvement for me was huge. Obviously, I've seen a lot more of him this season than most other people have, so I am going to be putting mm. my hand up for him. But I, I think probably Desmond Bain would have been my pick, and it would have been Jar Morant's pick as well, because he gave his award away to him. Um, but he gave it back because he's a nice bloke as well. Um, <laughs> just all love in Memphis at the moment, and you love to see it. It's all love. Uh, yeah, I had Dejounte Murray as my most improved yeah, player absolutely. with um, Jordan Poole number two and Garla number three. So um, I think Bain I had fourth. Or, oh no, no, sorry, I had Bain third, uh, Garland fourth, and then Morant fifth. But maybe I'm biased with my Zion Morant debates we've had over the years. Sure. Um, but no, I think Dejounte Murray is nearly, nearly averaging a triple double. Uh, wasn't even a regular starter in previous seasons. Uh, had career high set records for Spurs. Uh, and if you look, you have to look at the whole picture. And uh, without him on the floor, the Spurs lost most of their games. Yeah. Um, he was their main player. Their roster isn't great. But Jar has a very good roster around him, hence the record. And their record without Jar is incredible. Um, yeah. And similar to the Cavs, the, the record with Gar- Garland isn't as bad. If you take Mobley or Allen off the floor, the record gets worse with those players off the floor. Yeah. So I just think that um, players like Poole and... Uh, DeJounte Murray maybe meant more to their teams this season. Um, I think Murray's hard done by there, to be honest. But I, I think I'd put Murray above Paul because I think Paul has had amazing moments this season. Yeah. But hasn't, hasn't been that most improved consistently throughout the entire season. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, but yeah, Jar wins, gives it to, to Desmond. Desmond gives it back and then Memphis win last night. So uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, all good. That's the two awards we've heard. We'll probably hear another award this week, I imagine. Uh, I think sixth man is probably going to be one of the next ones to come up. Um, Let's move on to the series then. We'll start with the games that happened last night and talk about those series first. And then we'll move on to a sweep and then some others. So uh, last night, the Suns beat the Pelicans 112-97. Phoenix take a 3-2 lead. Uh, Things did look a little bit ropey. In game four, I believe, uh, when the Pels won and Brandon Ingram looked like clearly the best player on the floor. But Phoenix do take a 3-2 lead. They can close out in New Orleans. Um, Devin Booker probably still won't play. Uh, so for you, is there a chance this is over? Or do you think the Pels can have one more game and just take this to a to a really fun game seven at the weekend? I wouldn't put it past the Pelicans at all. The way they've been playing, the energy they brought to every single game, they could definitely sneak another one here. But I think the Suns really put a marker down last night and just said, look, we don't have Booker, but Chris Paul really stepped up. I know there's rumours that he's got a bit of an injury at the moment, but he looked more like himself. 22 points, six rebounds, 11 assists. Uh, Mar- uh, Mikael Bridges. <laughs> Miles Bridges is long gone with them Hornets. Yeah, I know. Uh, Mikael Bridges, 31 points, five rebounds, two assists. An absolute scoring barrage from him. Um, and they kept DeAndre Ayton on the floor a bit longer, 19.9 rebounds, three assists, um, which I think worked out really well for them. So, and Jay Crowder actually managed to hit a couple of shots. This is a real statement from the Suns, I think, to say, look, we know we don't have Booker, but we're taking this series. We're, t- we're taking it, taking the ball by the horns and we're, we're going to knock you guys out now. We've had enough. We're, we're not messing around. And I think it also helped that uh, Chris Paul was getting a bit, embarrassed with uh, <laughs> Alvarado Alvarado yeah I love uh, that guy that guy is an absolute vibe 
even though he got him again last night with an eight second, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did. I think Chris Paul uh, has, has said, right, no, I'm the I'm the veteran here. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to take you to the cleaners, which he did this game. Um, but you cannot fault the Pelicans. They play really well. Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum leading the team. Um, and their bench contributing. Larry Nance has been amazing defensively, and so has Jose Alvarado. Those two have really, really stuck it to them. Um, it's been a great series so far, but I think the Suns are pulling it out of the bag in this next game. Yeah, Pels just didn't have enough shooting last night. The people that, that make a lot of shots for them that, that are not the main two guys, the people that make a lot of open threes normally with Herb Jones, Larry Nance, Trey Murphy, Devontae Graham. Um, they didn't, even though they played well on defense, especially for Nance and um, Herb, they offensively just didn't score enough points. Those four players, I think, average, they got 40, 13 points between the four of them. So uh, a lot of them get open shots because obviously the two ball handlers get so much and then they've always got one big that stands under the basket. So those guys do get the kind of corner threes, open threes, um, pick and pop threes and stuff. So for me, I just think that was kind of the difference last night. And uh, as always, the Suns' fourth quarter, uh, they won, what, 23-19. So um, they started the game well and they ended the game well. Um, so I just think it was too much. I do think the Pals can win the game six. Um, but I would take the Suns then to, to close out in game seven. Um, but they would really want to win in game six because, A, you never want to go to a game seven. But, B, I think, like you said earlier, with Chris Paul, some random injury now being rumoured again, uh, the least games he plays every series the better right just because it limits that risk factor because it just seems like something's going to happen or has already happened and could get worse the longer they play so for them uh just say they play the Mavs or Jazz in six or seven they'll want to get their series over and done with six to get a bit more rest when they before the series starts I think yeah exactly the more rest the better and that's what they're going to be looking at if they can rest Chris Paul and Devin Booker for you know three to five days between now and the next series they will take that hands down yeah, I did see um, the Athletics saying that they were hopeful Booker would be back by game three in the next round. Um, but then he went to shooting practice yesterday, uh, which was earlier than expected. So you never know, he could be back for game game one or two. Um, but they've still got to beat the Pels. I think they will, like you said. I think in game seven. Uh, sounds like you're thinking more more game six. Uh, yeah. Let's go to the other Western Conference game from last night. The Grizzlies win 111 to 109 against the T-Wolves. Your man, Cat, actually turned up. He was very good, as he always does. One good game, one bad game. Seems to be his method of thinking. Um, but this was... I watched the extended highlights today because um, I didn't stay up due to uh, all these Mavs games uh, keeping me up late at night. But um, I thought this game was really, really fun. The start was incredible. The lead the Grizzlies had to come back from was good. Then the fourth quarter was amazing going back and forth. And then Jar kind of sealed it with a layup at the end. Yeah, what a game this was. Memphis down again, coming back again. 37 to 24 in the fourth quarter. An incredible scoring performance from the Memphis Grizzlies. For me, it just feels like Minnesota are getting leads and then just sitting back and going, well, we can take some silly shots now. We've got a cushion to play with. They don't kill a game. They don't put their their foot on the throat of their opponent and go, no, we're taking this one. You're not having it. And they just seem to keep letting Memphis back in over and over. And they need to stop doing that. Otherwise, they're not going to get anything out of this whatsoever. No, what I find weird about them is they had, I know we're only in the first round of the playoffs, but they had 10 players last night play 13 minutes or more. And I know that the Grizzlies have a large rotation, but two of their players only play three minutes each. 
But if you look at teams like the Mavs, Jazz, Suns, you're talking like eight, nine-man rotations mainly. And I think the Timberwolves are playing people like Jordan McLaughlin, Naz Reed, too many minutes. Like, I just think that I know Vanderbilt didn't have a good game, but I just think Patrick Beverly, 28 minutes, Anthony Edwards, 35. Like, I know you don't want to kill people into the ground, but Patrick Beverly needs to be playing above 30 minutes for this team. And for me, Edwards and Towns need to be nearing on to 40. Um, especially for a team that's it's not an old team. It's not a team that thinks they're going to go to the finals and has to manage that a little bit more. Like, if you're the best team in the league, okay, maybe you start off a bit slower. And if you lose a game or two, that's fine. You'll win. The Warriors used to do it all the time. And they'd win a lot of series 4-1 rather than 4-0, 4-2. But for me, a team like this that has no guarantees at all of winning even one playoff round, I just don't understand why your minutes are so spread out. Um, So for me, that was a problem. I know the third quarter... Torian Prince, J.D. McDaniels played a lot of minutes in the third quarter because of some foul trouble for other guys. But for me, I think they need to work on the rotations. Um, nice to see Cat play well. It would be good if D'Lo and Cat could actually turn up in one <laughs> the same game together. Yeah, no. I think I think they would win those games. But at the moment, it seems like either a big lead for Timberwolves or the Timberwolves getting blown out. That just seems to be the only way it happens. Um, but yeah, Grizzlies played well. Desmond Bain hit three threes in the fourth, but late third quarter, early fourth quarter to kind of help bring them back. John ran, like I said, sealed the game of the layup, and John ran also had a hell of a dunk. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was a beast. Yes. Oh my God, what a dunk. Can't remember who he dunked on now. It might be Malik Beasley, but um, yeah, yeah, it was. But yeah, hell of a dunk. Um, what does that mean in the series? Is they're 3 2 up, aren't they now? Three, yeah. 3 2 up going back to Minnesota. Again, I could see seven games here if Minnesota, but those big three have to all turn up in one game. If they do, they could beat the Timberwolves by 10. Like, I'm not saying that they'd be favourite, but. They could easily score enough points because they could just pile it on when they want to. Yeah. But I think if if you have another dead performance of Cat or a dead performance of D'Lo, I think the Grizzlies will just close it out nicely in the fourth quarter. But I think we could still see Game Seven. I think this is one of the best performances you will get out of Cat, twenty-eight and twelve. Yeah. On forty-six percent, well, forty-seven percent from the field, seventy-one percent from three, five from seven, and nine from nine from the free throw line. That's what he should be doing, sort of game in, game out, and, and trying to take control of a game. Because he he's an incredible player. And like if if there is a, a centre that feels like they can match with him, he can usually pull them to that three-point line and either go around them or shoot over them because they're not quick enough to get out to him. And yeah. he needs to keep that aggressive play. Like I said, Russell needs to then pick up on that and, and contribute as well. You get him, Edwards, and Cat all sort of... 20 plus points then you're kind of laughing I agree with you they need to shorten that rotation keep Pat Bev on the floor a bit longer and maybe focus on Prince and Beasley as your sort of your seven man rotation I know may not necessarily give Cat too much rest or whatever but I think it needs to happen especially if they want to come out winning this series and go through to the next round yeah, I agree. Anything can happen in Game 7, and Memphis is a very loud place. So, Game 7 would be difficult, but I just think you have to win this home game if you're the T-Wolves. Go all out. Eight-man rotation, like you said. Or seven to nine, whichever you feel is best. Yeah. And why? Like, okay, Beverly's... You never know. There could be a player with an injury that can't play as many minutes, but they, that's not telling us. We, we don't know that. But whatever they feel like is the shortest they could go, they should go. Cat needs to stay out of foul trouble. Because when he does, he can have nights like this. When he doesn't, he has four shots. Um, so I think he stays out of trouble. And I think D'Lo needs to get to the rim, not just pull up from three all the time. I think he needs to get to the basket and make things happen. They could they could easily do it. Um, the Grizzlies take a lot of threes. 
and uh, take a lot of transition threes. And if those threes don't go in, then Timberwolves could win and we could have game seven. But um, we'll see. For me, I am leaning... I think I'm leaning towards a game seven in the Suns series. And I think this game I'm leaning to be an over in six and Grizzlies winning the next game 4-2. What about you? Uh, Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Grizzlies take the next game, put this to bed. Nice. Um, Cool. One more game from last night then. That'll lead us nicely on talking about the only sweep of the playoffs. Uh, But last night's game, Heat versus Hawks, Eastern Conference, no Kyle Lowry. No Jimmy Butler either, who's resting for, for a knee situation. Um, amazing that they could win 97-94. And uh, to be able to win 4-1 and not play Butler last night, if he has got a bit of uh, what sounds like some sort of tendonitis vibes if it's uh, swelling around the knee. But um, it does seem to me like that was the perfect scenario. They managed to win. The score was a lot closer than the game was. DeAndre Hunter had to hit a lot of threes in the fourth quarter to bring this back. Uh, I think Hawks actually won the fourth quarter 30-22 to 22, and they still lose the game. So that kind of shows you where Miami's lead was before then. Um, defense was good. Miami surprised me because if you look at the team, right, last night's starting five, I know they didn't, well, they all played big minutes. It was Gabe Vincent, Victor Oladipo, Bam Adebayo, PJ Tucker, Max Struess. The Hawks should win that against that lineup. I'm sorry. like I know I'm a bit biased because of the whole Trey versus Luca conversation and I'm not a big fan of Trey's fan. Yeah, so even though the Hawks maybe haven't been as good this season as they were last year, maybe we overhyped them at the start of the season, uh, and I, they probably should lose the series. I think that lineup that the Heat actually played last night, that is a lineup that just should not be a playoff lineup to me, um, or a good playoff lineup. I just think that the, there's no way you should lose that game if you're the Hawks. I think the fact they did lose it says a lot about the team. I think maybe they checked out a little bit. And uh, I just think there could be some change in Atlanta uh, in terms of play and personnel this season because. They were down 3-1. This was a perfect chance to go 3-2 and take it back home uh, against a weakened team. And then they still lose um, against someone like Victor Odipo who hasn't played any minutes in the playoffs and then has to play 36 in his first night. So for me, from Hawks' point of view, I was really disappointed. But from a Heat point of view, it's nice to have these players, some maybe not as good as others, or some coming back off injuries and then play really well in the playoff game. So I see this at the point from both sides, but I'd be disappointed if I was a Hawks fan. Yeah, I, I think the Hawks should be disappointed as well um the defense on trey young was ferocious like it it was incredible even without jimmy butler it was brilliant like not just on him either on that whole hawks team and they i don't know if it's the i guess it's a coaching issue that he didn't manage to find a way on uh, a way around it because they'd apply pressure then a double would come and Whoever had the ball would be stuck. They they didn't figure out a way to get around these doubles that kept coming. Um, I think it didn't help. They didn't have Clint Capella. Yeah, not great. But they definitely... I think he played last night. Did he? Okay, so there you go. Yeah, he was back last night. He played 19 minutes, scored two points. And Trey Young played 41 minutes and scored 11 points. Yeah. The, Kevin Knox the other night, was it... For four or six minutes or something, 12 points. I know it was in garbage time, but they, there's just some fundamental issues with this team, I think, at the moment. And they can make all the excuses they want. Uh, Trey Young didn't play good enough. That's the bottom line of that. They did defend him hard, but if you want to be that superstar caliber player, you figure out how to adjust. Whether that is you stop your scoring and you then start assisting... He didn't even do that. Um, uh, so 
Yeah, there you go. Kevin Knox, 12 points in four minutes. <laughs> You've got other options. Like you start if Trey Young's not doing it for you, bench him for a bit. You can't just let him keep shooting himself out of a slump. It's not it didn't work. It's not worked all series. Why is it going to start working now? Um yeah, in 41 minutes, 11, 8, and 6, 16% from the field. Yeah, and the Heat were only like 22% from the three, 45 from the field. So the Heat didn't even play that well and they still could win the game. That's how bad the Hawks offense was. Uh, and we said all last season and this season that the Hawks defense is okay at times, but then depending on the lineup, there's normally at least one or two players that you can just attack relentlessly, similar to the Jazz, I guess, where Bogdanovich and Gobert are really, really good defenders. But then if you've got Conley, Clarkson, Mitchell as the other three, in the playoffs, in the league, in the reg season, not so much, but in the playoffs, they get attacked. And I just think Trey Young got attacked quite a lot. Kevin Herter was disappointing on both ends. For me, Gallo is a player that just obviously can't defend anymore. And I think John yeah. Collins just still, you could tell, he just couldn't, he just wasn't healthy because he wasn't good defensively uh, and he never really went off offensively either. So uh, the Hawks season is obviously over. For me, I think they could be a prime three player for one trade somewhere, whoever that player is. I'm not sure, but um, I think they could be the prime candidate. I know we mentioned Donovan Mitchell yep. um, on a phone call yesterday that I think could probably happen. But yeah, I think they're a prime three for one. Um, and we'll see what they do. But in terms of the Heat, really good win. Nice to move on. To get a series done in five when you've had Kyle Lowry miss, what, two and a half games and Jimmy Butler miss a game, I think that's really impressive. Yeah, uh, And it looks like their second round matchup is going to be easier than uh, than kind of normal in a second round because even if it's the Raptors, they've looked bad offensively at times. And if it's the 76ers, they've not looked great in the last two games. So for me, I think Miami are kind of laughing where they are in terms of the playoff position right now. 100%. Yeah, they're, they're going to be rubbing their hands together. Um, as good as Bam is, I think he's not going to kind of flourish against Embiid if they end up playing the 76ers. Embiid will get what he does, but... I don't think anybody else on that 76 team will be a worry for them, the way they've been defending. Um, and same with the Raptors. Uh, they're so big and long, they can defend yeah, anyone, can't they? Exactly. So, yeah, well done to the Heat. Well-coached side. Everybody's bought into the, their defensive kind of mindset and then offence takes care of itself after that. You kind of demoralise the team and then you can score against them. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, cool, we've got five more series to talk about. We've got one more that's finished, two more that play on Thursday night, and then we've got two more to talk about that play tonight. So let's go with the sweep next. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics have swept the Nets 4-0. Uh, it's actually the least amount of total points difference ever in a four-game sweep. Uh, the total difference between all the four games was 17 points. So every game was close, um, but for varying reasons, you had... Bad defending in one game. You had Kevin Durant being terrible in another. You had Kyrie being terrible in another. And then you had slow starts from most of the players, mysteries and Kevin Durant going off in the other. So there's, there's varying reasons to why they, they failed. Um, but yeah, Robert Williams back for the Celtics. They look incredibly impressive. And I had the Nets win in seven. I think you had the Nets in six. Yeah. Uh, and the Celtics have not just proved us wrong, but proved many people wrong. Even people thought they'd win. I heard a lot of Celtics in sevens. But Celtics and four, mate, they are real contenders for this title. I think it's just been a kind of perfect storm for the Celtics. They obviously ended the season on a high. They were playing really well. Um, and they were missing Robert Williams. They got him back. 
They carried on playing extremely well. They've hit their defensive stride as well. They're not just this offensive team. They are very, very good defensively. And everybody on that team, on that roster, wants to play and wants to wants to win games. They'll do whatever it takes, it seems like. Whereas they've met the Nets at a time where they've not played many games together. Um, couple that with Kyrie had the first game. He was really, really good. In the next three, he wasn't very good at all. Durant did the opposite. First three, not very good. Last game, really, really good. Um, and you could tell they hadn't played together before. The, the, the turnovers from Kyrie <laughs> and from Durant were atrocious. They were so bad, so basic, just basic stuff. Some of them, I don't even know who he was trying to pass to. He was just literally, both of them, just handing it off to the opponents. And three of those, that's your points difference in one of the games. It's just really silly, basic stuff. Um, and also Steve Nash's first time in the playoff, coaching in the playoffs. That Everybody needs to go back and... and they coached and, last year in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, he did last year as well. Everybody needs to, they need to take a time this summer to regroup and go at it again. Um, and obviously then they've got the backstory of Ben Simmons, whether he's going to play or not, or... Is that, back, is that a funny term of words there, the backstory, because of his back injury? Or... Yeah, I read in something about how they think potentially now that it's like a mental thing, like he's working himself so up so much about playing basketball that it's giving him this back injury. Um, yeah, I read that they asked him to play like just 10 minutes a game for the last two games. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he said no and then woke up saying he had back soreness. So it does seem a very convoluted situation, doesn't it? They, they need to regroup together in the summer and hope they can bring back a team that is as good as the one they've got now because potentially a couple of those players could walk and they could be looking at some real big gaps again next season. So we'll see what they turn up with. But whoever's got Boston next, uh, good luck. Yeah, I agree. Let's stay on the Nets for a little bit because that season's over and then we'll just end on, on Boston. Uh, yeah, you've got Bruce Brown, Andre Drummond, Goran Dragic, Nick Claxton and Blake Griffin all played minutes in this game and they're all free agents in the summer. And uh, there's also a Kyrie Irving decision extension to be made. Um, and they haven't got a lot of cap space. They obviously did recoup a couple of picks in that Harden trade, which is, for me, still clever business. Like, I know Ben Simmons didn't play and they lost, but I'm not looking at the 76ers situation. They're probably going to have to pay James Harden two years, 60 million or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. I'm not looking at them. And even if they win against the Raptors, I'm not looking at their situation thinking they won the trade. I think you could say they lose-lose. It's fine. But um, they'll have a couple of picks to spare. But for me, it's not a lot. Uh, and I read yesterday that the the Kyrie extension he's allowed to sign for is five years, $246 million. Wow. And I just think, are you going to trust this man? who arguably for me hasn't, I know game one he was good, but hasn't done anything in the playoffs since he made the shot over Steph Curry the day that Draymond Green was, was banned for game seven or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure where they go. He seems to say he's going to stay, but then he also says that me and Kevin are going to run the franchise with <laughs> with the GM. And I'm there like, I don't know if I want Kyrie Irving running my franchise, making decisions <laughs> on who we're going to sign. Um so, yeah, it is a little bit convoluted. And like I said, there's loads of players that are going to be free agents in the summer. Um, Andre Drummond and Claxton have basically already said they're going to go out and get the bag, but Claxton could stay if they if they match the deal. 
Um, but for me, yeah, I don't know really where they go. I think it's going to be a very interesting off-season for them. They're going to have a complete different roster next year, and I just don't know how they're going to do it. But I'm sure they'll find ways to paper around the cracks or trade someone or, or whatever. But yeah, it'd be weird. What would you do with the Kyrie situation? Would you be re-signing him? Yeah, I think you have to. I think... I'd trade him to the Lakers tomorrow. For what? For Westbrook? Well, I'd trade him for picks. But if I have to have Westbrook back... Uh, and then cut Westbrook, I'd just do that. because That's uh, what you'd have to do. It, that's the only way it would probably work out, right? Uh, the Lakers yeah. would take that in a heartbeat as well. Unless there's a third team involved and uh, the Nets could find a way to trade for Anthony Davis and uh, Westbrook could go to the third team and Kyrie could go to the Lakers. But, yeah, I don't know. I definitely wouldn't be offering him the five-year deal, though. There's no way. And Maybe you could offer him a two-year max. But you can't offer him five years, $250 million for me at age 30. He, he's only ever played 60 games in an NBA season four times. He's been in the league for 11 years. Yeah, that he is quite injury-prone at times. And obviously, the COVID stuff this season, he didn't help himself with. So, uh, I think they will offer it to him because I think they've invested too much in this team not to. But you think they'll still offer five years, though? Not potentially five years, maybe like three years, something. Three and then a, and a player option or something. God, good luck. Well, and then they keep Ben Simmons, obviously, and hope another summer can help yeah. him, or do they try and trade him again? No, I think they've got to commit. I, I honestly do. They've got to give this at least one season where he's fit and healthy and can play. They've got to do everything they can to get him sorted over the summer. And you need him, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant out on the court for together for at least double-figure games. Like, I, you know, 30-plus games would be the most ideal situation, wouldn't it? Yeah. Out of a, And that should be doable out of 82 games. <laughs> yeah, it should be, yeah. 30 be easy, but what's last year it was about 12? 12, 12, 12 with the other three, obviously, and Ben Simmons has never played a game with them, has he yet? So. Yeah. So there's your continuity absolutely down the toilet from the start. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. All I know is I think Kevin Durant will be there long term and I think Seth Curry probably will, will be along for the ride. But aside from that, I'm not sure. Um, I think Kyrie will re-sign, but he's got next year and, and then maybe... I would struggle to offer him more than... I wouldn't offer him it. I'd trade him, but I think they are going to offer it him because uh, Kevin Durant's his best friend and they listen to Durant. But yeah, we'll see. In terms of the Celtics, uh, we'll speak about them a lot more as the, the playoffs go on. But um, Jason Tatum, I already knew he was this good. Uh I think both of us did. I think that maybe his shot creation can be a little bit poor down the stretch of games if he's not making his own three-pointers, which he is at the moment. So maybe that could change against uh, the Bucks, likely, in, in the next round. Um, but for me, it's their defence that looks so impressive. Like I said, Robert Williams came back, didn't start. He only played 14 minutes in this game just to get his kind of feet wet. But for me, their defence is incredible. And they've got... Three players, at least, that in their positions are some of the best defenders in the world. Arguably, Jalen Brown is also in that category. Uh, and Derek White and what would be Daniel Tice off the bench are also pretty good defenders for the level of player they are on offense. So, um, yeah, I just think their defense is incredible. They're going to ride defense all the way through. And then if you can also score 116 points a game, uh, you're going to be laughing if you're a great defensive team. Yeah, easily, yeah. They're, they're real threat across the board across all positions it seems at the moment even the old man Al Horford's getting stuck in so he's playing so well I worry about him long term with the minutes but I think Robert Williams makes up for that a little bit when he's back they're going to need him next round because it's likely it's going to be the Bucks 
Yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be fun. They definitely needed him. I think that's why they played him, even though they thought they could probably get a sweep. I think 14 minutes was enough just to get a bit of fitness under him before before the next round, um, yeah. which I think makes sense. Uh, let's move on to the two games then that aren't tonight and are also uh, 3-2 in the said series. We'll stay with the East first. 76ers versus the Raptors. Um, game five, Toronto won 103-88. to uh, I think that was, was that in Philly as well? Yeah, that was in Philly. Um, played incredibly well. They had a lead pretty much the whole game. Uh, Siakam played point guard because Fred Van Vliet was out. And for me, I wouldn't bring Fred back in the next game. He just hasn't looked the same all series with his injury. Yeah. Uh, and this random, incredibly long lineup <laughs> just seems to cause every team trouble, but uh, causes the 76ers trouble when you've got James Harden and Tyrus Max in the backcourt. So, um, yeah, very impressive. They won the second quarter 25-14, and then they won the fourth quarter 28-22, and those two quarters kind of sealed the game for the Raptors. And now Embiid, who has nightmares of that Kawhi shot in Toronto, um, bouncing off the rim and going in a few years ago. He's got to go back to Toronto for game six. And I am more confident that this series is going seven than any series for me. Yeah, it's definitely looking that way, isn't it? Uh, Embiid apparently now has picked up a thumb injury, I think. Which yeah, is... he needs surgery on his thumb, but he's just going to play through it, basically. His excuse for not playing as well as he was. I mean, when's he not had an injury in an off-season? It's getting beyond belief um and just james harden's gone missing again hasn't he so yeah and then maxi this game couldn't make up for it and if maxi can't make up for it which isn't all his fault because he's done it a lot then what happens <laughs> do you know what i mean and tobias harris has actually played really well for the whole series especially on defense so it's i know everyone moans about how much he gets paid including me but when he's actually doing everything you want him to do as your fourth best player like, the other guys really have to step up, and I think it starts with James Harden, like you said, for me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the 76ers were so dominant across the first three games. I think they all just went, oh, we've got this. It's easy. <laughs> like, and Raptors just never, ever die. They never give up. It doesn't matter what iteration of the Raptors it is. They never give up. So they can't do that with a team like this. Especially, they can't do that with any team in the playoffs, I don't think. Um which you can see, you know, in the Suns and the Pelican series, like yeah, true. It's just, yeah, it's, it's poor game management from the 76ers, that's for sure. Yeah, Doc Rivers has given up more three-one leads than anybody in NBA history. Uh, no one has ever given up a three-three-zero lead, and uh, <laughs> they are on their way because, uh, yeah, this was three-zero. This could be the first one ever to to come back. Um, Game six in Toronto is on Thursday, 12.30 our time. So it's actually a relatively nice tip-off. Uh, however, the game involves James Harden and Joel Embiid. So there could be so many free throws there. It ends up being quite a late finish uh, for anyone in England that does want to stay up and uh, stay up and watch it. But uh, what are your thoughts on game six? And do you think there will be a game seven? Uh, I know I, it's hard to tell, isn't it? But Yeah, I'm so 50-50 on it. Um, do you think we got... You think regardless, 76ers win, whether it's game six or seven, you think they still win? Yeah, I'm going to back them to win this next game. I think they, they close it out. They they go back up a couple of gears and, and close <laughs> it ooh, and close it out. Uh, I don't know what that noise was, but that's hilarious. <laughs> um, I think Raptors win game six and then 76ers win at home in game seven with a Joel Embiid master performance, probably. Um, here's a quick question for you. 
do you actually think it's going to be harder for the 76ers to win in seven than in six? Because you know what this team's like. They're quite fragile, and so is the coach. If they lose that 3-0 lead and it goes 3-3, does that then actually become harder for them to win, you think, in game seven at home in front of those fans that we all know can get quite aggressive? They can boo their own team if they're not playing well they did against the Hawks. Do you think that they actually should try and win in game... I know they're going to try and win, but is it easier for them to win on the road in six than actually it could be at home in seven? Yeah, potentially. I mean that home crowd has already booed them and left early yeah, in the previous game. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think mentally they need to win this next one because if it goes to seven, <sighs> nerves might get the better of them, um, heads might go down. It's going to be an absolute... Mentally, it's going to be the toughest game I think any of them have ever played. So they need to get it done next game. Yeah, especially the ones that have been in Philly for a while. I think Embiid, yeah. that, that could be a nightmare. But um, we shall see. Um, Doc Rivers, man. Ugh, I don't know. There's rumours he could be the next Lakers coach. And God help you, I think, if, that, if you're a Lakers fan there. Uh, let's move over to the West then. The other game that is on Thursday, not on not on this evening. Uh, Mavericks versus Jazz. Game five was 102-77 to the Mavs. Very rare you see a team held under 95 points in the playoffs let alone 80 points. So very impressive. Jazz went three for 30 on threes. The Mavericks only shot 20-odd percent from three as well. So the Mavs didn't even play well here. Um, obviously, I am biased, but if I look at it just from a Jazz podcasting perspective, that's one of the worst performances you'll ever see in a playoffs for me in round one, especially when it's not like, you know, when it's 3-1 and you've had these times when we had Joel Embiid was out and the Sixers were playing the Celtics and it was just Ben Simmons and they lose by 25. Like, I understand those scenarios, but the Jazz, fully healthy. Luca obviously, only first second game back off an injury. So to lose by that margin and the way they did, I think that was quite embarrassing for this Jazz team. Yeah. This Jazz team, you know I've really liked this Jazz team for the past three or four seasons. Yeah. They in, have, the re- in the regular season, though, you do always mention you're worried in the playoffs, don't you? Every time you yeah. mention that, to be fair. They have every single weapon a team could want available to them. And they just don't know how to use them, it seems. Um, it also feels like everybody on this team has completely checked out. I was saying to you yesterday, <laughs> like Donovan Mitchell is the most athletic person, potentially the most athletic person on the court in this series. Yeah, definitely, yeah. He gets into the lane and settles for a floater. Why is he not going to the rim? Why is he not trying to dunk on people? <laughs> yeah, I know. And when, he he... Gets in the, when he gets in the lane for a floater, that's your ideal spot for a lob to your seven-foot centre against a six-foot ten guy. But you're not. You're just settling for a floater with two people. I know floaters are one of the hardest shots in basketball, aren't they, efficiency-wise, because it's so hard to get right. But you've got two guys draped all over you for a floater. The guy guarding you and the guy guarding Rudy. Like It's either lob or kick out there. And he's settling for more floaters than I've ever seen. It's almost like James Harden last year when he had that hamstring injury and he was just settling for floaters. It's almost yeah. like that. Um, yeah, Nine it, points in this game, by the way. For it's, so, it's so simple because if he starts going inside, starts going to layups, people start collapsing on him, he gets fouled, he gets to the free throw line, he yeah. potentially starts getting doubled. You've got some of the best three-pointers, three-point shooters on your team. When people start collapsing on you, you start kicking. Bogdanovich can start hitting threes. Clarkson can start hitting threes. And when that they they stay out on the shooters, like you said, you've got that pick and roll action. You can lob to, to Rudy Gobert. And yeah. why is Rudy Gobert not demanding the ball? Why does he not have a post game? He's the biggest player on the court at any point in this series. Yeah. Because let's be honest, and they're, they're not going to play uh, both. 
No, that's why we traded Porzingis and just said, look, we're going to play small. That's what it is. Yeah. We're going to play Dwight Powell, who is the biggest centre. He's not really a shot blocker. Maxi is a bit of a better shot blocker. But they're not even playing Powell for big minutes. 20 minutes in this game was because of a blowout. And it's the largest amount of minutes he's played all series. He's averaging 17 yeah. minutes. So I know Dwight Powell is like six foot ten, but... Uh, he's not even playing that much. And aside from that, it's like six for nine, six for eight guys playing centre against Rudy Gobert. Like I said, the, the Jazz just just don't care at the moment. And that's so sad because... They, they, cared, they cared in game play. four, though, didn't they? But do you reckon... Well, what I found interesting right about game four, the Mavs came out and shot terribly. Obviously, they were getting used to the whole Luka offence because before, all it was was Brunson or Dinwiddie drives to the basket and either they score in the mid-range if Gobert's not there or they kick out for a free. But Luca obviously gets his own shot anywhere. So he, he takes different shots to those two guys. Um, the, the Jazz went up by 10 points and then 14 points in game four. And I think because they're ahead, do you know what I mean? They can stay in the game then mentally. They like being ahead. But the minute yeah. they're behind, it kills them. They lost the first oh. quarter in this one, 24-18. And then the second quarter, 28-18 and just downhill from there. So for me, I think they're a front runner. And I think if they get a lead in a game, maybe 10 points in game six... I think then they'll fight, but that's not really true fight. Do you know what I mean? You're winning the game there. You're at home. It's easy to be a, It's easy to play aggressive when you're in front. Um, but I agree with you. I just think if they ever get behind, there's just there's just no fight. In this game, their starters, Bo, Boban, uh, Bojan scored, Bogdanovic scored two points. Uh, Royce O'Neal, who shouldn't play, by the way. Daniel House, or Danielle House, I guess, is, is much better than Royce O'Neal. Yeah. He is guarding us so well. So I watch all these games in Fulham. Royce O'Neal's been awful. Rudy Gobert scored 17 points. That was the highest of the starters. Donovan Mitchell scored nine. Conley scored four. And then Clarkson off the bench was a team-high 20 points they had to get in the fourth quarter. But before that, he only scored like 13 before the fourth. So, yeah, the whole team was pretty poor. Um, if I stay from a Jazz perspective, Donovan Mitchell did hurt his hamstring in this game. Uh, I found that slightly... Well, I thought he was done. It comes out that the, neg- the, ex- the MRI was fine, his hamstring is okay, and he's got bruised quads, which I said to you on the phone yesterday. That just sounds like to me, like, did his hamstring actually even hurt in this game? Or did he just want to get out of the game early and just and kind of bail? I'm not quite sure. But um, yeah, apparently he's got bruised quads. We'll find out today at about 5 o'clock our time if he's going to play in Game 6. I expect him to play. If he's injured, he won't be 100%. If he's not injured, I think very strange for you to duck out of a Game 5. Even if you're downloads, I think just staying and playing for a bit longer just gives your team and your fans a bit more encouragement. Um, How do you see Game 6 going? I know they brought in Pascal in the end. They played Whiteside again too many minutes. But in the fourth, they at least took him out and they played... Pascal and went small. Do we see more of that? But or not? We've said that all series, and we haven't. But what are your thoughts on on what the Jazz can do in Game Six, and who you think will win Game Six? Well, I mean, I think I've already said what they need to do in terms of how they can get back on board scoring. Yeah, because uh, I think that's their biggest issue. I think defensively they've been okay. It's not been too far gone from Don't what know. it used to be. But <laughs> they should rely on their offense, shouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they should be doing what the Heat are doing. Is like they should be able to shut teams down defensively and score efficiently at the other end. But they just don't seem to. I, I think the the Mavericks have got them mentally, and I think they're probably going to take the next game and get this series over and done with. Uh, yeah, that's where I think it's going. Yeah, they're a weird one, this team, because uh, Bogdanovich before Game Five was the most efficient scorer in the playoffs. Not the most points, but the most efficient. 
Rudy Gobert was the best defender or one of the best defenders for the whole season. Donovan Mitchell is third in the league in, in drives to the basket and efficiency. Mike Conley is second in the NBA for off-the-dribble three-pointers. Uh, Jordan Clarkson was uh, top voter for sixth man, man of the year award in terms of um, odds. Uh, and then Royce O'Neal have one of the best corner three-point percentages in the, NF- in the NBA. And this team not scoring any points. <laughs> it's just yeah. so strange. But, uh, but yeah, in terms of what I think, uh, I do agree. I do think game six will be close. I think it's going to be another one of the, you know, the other day when we saw the Jazz win at the end. I think it's going to happen again, but because of the pressure that they have to win or else they go home, I think the Mavs will pull out in the last minute of the game, whether that's Don, whether that's Luca, whether that's Donovan Mitchell taking rushed three-pointers like he seems to do all the time. Um, I'm not sure how it will happen, but I do think it'll be a close game. I know a lot of people think the Jazz will just fold, but I think because of the crowd, it'll be a close game. But I think the last minute they are going to fold and the Mavs are going to come out and win. Um, quick word for Dorian Finney-Smith. He's holding Donovan Mitchell to under 20% field goal percentage when he guards him. Uh, and he is holding Bogdanovich to under 15% field goal percentage when he guards him. But Dorian Finney-Smith is one of the best defenders in the league. And I, I hope he gets a bit more recognition. Um, anytime that Donovan Mitchell's played him, he's never scored more than 33% from the field against Smith when Smith's guarded him in his whole career. And Dorian Finney-Smith was like uh, an undrafted player that had to guard him like two years ago off the bench for 15 minutes a game and he was still cooking Mitchell defensively. So yeah. I think Dodo is a, is a very good player. But yeah, I'm with you. I think the Mavs winning game six. I think it'll be maybe a bit closer than you do. Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing a cheeky Luca buzzer beater just to end the round on a, a nice note before we have to go to play Phoenix or, or the Pals. Uh, let's move to tonight's two games then. Uh, both game, both games, sorry, series could be over. Uh, we'll start with the West, since we're there. Nuggets versus Warriors, game five. Uh, game five, obviously, is back in, um, you said Oakland there, it's back in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, how do you see this going? We won't talk about the last games too much because they're so far gone now, but how do you see this game going tonight? Yeah, I just don't think the Nuggets get the contributions from everybody like they did last game. Like, that was what... That was everybody on form all at once. And I just don't think it happens. Um, I think the biggest debate in this series is when does Steph start starting again? That's the only debate I've got at the moment. I think they keep Jordan Poole in starting lineup and put Steph back in. Um, next round, next, I think. Yeah, next round. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, but for me, the, this is over. Golden State have taken it. Yeah, I think we both said Warriors in five as well um, in our preview pod. And I'm with you. I think the Warriors take it. I think, I'm not sure really. I think it would take a bad shooting night from them for the Nuggets to stand a chance. Maybe Jokic goes off and goes crazy again. But I think Aaron Gordon's been so poor. Uh, and people like Austin Rose off the benches and Will Barton have been so poor defensively. I just think that the Warriors can get any shot they want. So I'm with you. I think the Warriors win and they take it. And that'll be 4 1, I think, like we both predicted. Um, other game then in the East, Bucks versus the Bulls. This game is uh, game five as well, so it's back for the home team. So it's back in Milwaukee. Uh, we both predicted, I predicted a sweep, you predicted 4 1, so you're still in with a chance of getting it bang on here. Um, I assume at home, even though there's no Middleton, you think the Bucks can do it tonight? Yeah, the way they played last game, and I feel like when a player goes out, Giannis goes up a gear and he's just so dominant, it doesn't matter who they try and throw at him in this series. I think he's he's going to sort of take it to them as long as Drew Holiday can keep up and, and keep playing well like he did last game. Yeah. I think 20, they, 26 points last game for him. He needed, to, he needed that for them. That was good. Yeah. I think they take one. And I think mainly because they will be very good defensively still. Um, 
I think the offense will look after itself. But I think what they'll do is they'll, sh- they'll shut Chicago down. They, Chicago won't be able to score. Uh, apart from maybe DeRozan will get his handful of points that he always seems to get. But I don't think. I think they've got enough bodies to throw at like Levine and Vucevic that they they don't score basically. And I think that's what wins them the game. Yeah, well, on that note, Levine uh, is actually in um, health and safety protocols for COVID, so Levine yeah. will Levine will miss this game. Uh, so yeah, I think that stands the case even more, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think the Bucks will win tonight. I think DeRozan could go off. He could score thirty. He could score forty. But I don't think you're going to get another sixty points, um, seventy points elsewhere to to outscore the Bucks if Giannis is playing well. Um, and just two quick shout outs. One, Grayson Allen scored 27 points in 28 minutes off the bench last game. Uh, they ain't going to get that. So they're going to need to find probably 20 plus points from somewhere else. Um, whether that's Brooke Lopez when he scored two, Wesley Matthews when he scored six, I'm not sure. But yeah, shout out to Grayson Allen. I'm not sure he'll be able to do that every week. Uh, and the other one is they replaced Middleton with Bobby Portis in the lineup. Everyone thought it would be Pat Connaughton um, or maybe Grayson Allen. But they actually put Bobby Portis in. So they started Lopez, Portis and Giannis. Absolutely huge lineup. And the Bulls have no clue what to do on rebounding or in the paint. So uh, I think if they do that again, I think this game could be over pretty quickly, to be honest. Yeah, I'm with you. And that would be Buck Celtics next round. So Celtics' path to the title gets even harder after playing, obviously, the best playing team we've seen for a while, even though they swept them. Um, and I think that uh, that would be a very fun series if it, if it does happen. But... We shall see. Um, ben is off work again next week still. One more week, I think. So we'll be recording uh, early-ish again on Wednesday. And then the week after, we'll be back into to late-night recordings if we can fit them in. Um, so, yeah, we'll record again next week. We'll see how the playoff series look. We'll be into round two by then. Probably two games in round two for most of those series. Uh, go follow us at, at underscore Harvard Hoops for hear our reports on the playoffs as we go. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. There's still some good games to be had. Hopefully, we'll see a couple of game sevens. And, uh, Ben, sign us off. Which game is your most likely to go to Game 7? Go. Oh, it's Raptors 76, isn't it? Oh, yes. Game 7, baby! Let's see that Doc Rivers meltdown. Speak to you later, guys. <laughs>